Hey, Pastor Matt here. Uh, glad you joined us. I guess uh, my wife's been calling me a little bit shaggy, and maybe you're having the same experience in your home. I hope your week went well. I hope that uh, you're enjoying the weather that we're getting. It's a little bit warmer. You're able to get out, get in the yard. I hope you're able to do that. That helps a lot, doesn't it? Hey, we've been talking in this series about five words that can really transform your relationships. And this is going to close that series off. And we're going to look at the last word. And the last word, the one we want to look at this weekend, is yes. Now, we're going to go to a passage in Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians. And Paul had this kind of uh, difficult relationship with the church at Corinth. Um, they accused him of being wishy-washy. And they challenged him and... Paul wrote a number of letters. We have two of the letters that Paul wrote, but he wrote more than that. And so they basically said, Paul, you're kind of wishy-washy. You know, you say yes, but then you go back on your word. And Paul writes to defend himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse, uh, well, it's early, verse 16 or so. Now, what we want to do is I want to read starting at verse 18. So I'm in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 verse 18. Let me start reading and then I'll tell you because this is really an interesting passage. Here's what Paul says. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. <clears throat> now what's Paul's argument here? What's he saying to the people? And then we'll kind of unwrap this passage a little bit. Well, what he's saying here is when Jesus gives his word, it's true. It's yes. He keeps it. He doesn't break it. And Paul's saying, as one of his followers, as one of the followers of Jesus Christ, I follow the same procedure. I don't just say yes and no willy-nilly. When I say yes, I mean yes. Now, here's the thing, and this is where this passage comes in. Essentially, there's some promises here that God has made to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, there's over 7,000 promises in the Bible. Did you know that? 7,000 times where God says to you, yes. And we want to look at this whole idea of yes. Now, it's one thing. It's one thing for God to say yes to us. It's quite another for us to say yes to God. And that's kind of where I want to go in this message. I want to talk about what does it mean when you say yes to God? Uh, you'll never go wrong when you say yes to God. You'll never make it, that will never be a bad decision. No matter how long you live, when you say yes to God, that'll never be a bad decision. So, how do you say yes to God? What does that look like? Well, you say yes to God, and I'm going to give you three points. Three points. Here's the first one. You say yes to God when you let him define you. When you let him define you. Now, we all have labels. Um, you know, I have labels. Uh, we all have labels. I've been labeled my whole life. I mean, I go through my life and all through my life, I've had people walk up to me 
and they say, are you famous? Are you a model? Are you a sports athlete or somebody famous? Because you're very, very handsome and attractive. <laughs> That's absolutely not true. And what's disappointing about all of that is that you guys are all laughing at me about that. And here's, here's what I do know, though. Here's what I found. That labels can either empower us or they can cripple us. And some of you have been living with a negative label for years, maybe your whole life. And it, it's been sucking the life out of you. And it's, it's gone on for too long. Now, where do we get these labels? Where do you get these labels? Well, we often get labeled because of our accomplishments. And we, we kind of feel good about what we can do, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. If we have a position of power and authority or um, we have prestige, uh, we feel good about ourselves because, look, I mean, we're in a powerful, prestigious uh, position. Or we say, my abilities. Sometimes my abilities, is I'm labeled as the athlete. I'm labeled as the artistic one. Or I'm labeled as the smart one. I do well in school. I, I'm on the dean's list. I'm Val Victorian, a salutatorian. And, um, or sometimes we use our relationships. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a father, you know. So we have all these labels. Now there's nothing wrong with these labels. There's nothing wrong with taking pride in any of these labels. But if those labels are the only thing that define who you are as a person, you're going to run into a problem. And here's the problem you're going to run into. The problem you're going to run into is that when those things fail you, you're going to be disappointed. You know, and your relationships will fail you. Your, your position at work will fail you. Your health will fail you. You know, all those things will fail you. And if you put your trust, if you try to find your true identity in those things, they will, sooner or later, they will fail you. So, don't set yourself up for disappointment. Don't put all your eggs in that basket. Don't ask these things to, to label you, to give you uh, this. Uh, let me give you an illustration. So, <clears throat> a number of years ago, um, I was at a basketball game, and it was a close game, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It came down to the last few seconds of the game, and one of the players got fouled. And he wasn't one of the best bas uh, foul shooters uh, on the team. In fact, he was one of the worst. And um, I was sitting up in the bleachers, and this this boy's father was sitting just behind me a little bit. His son got to the line, and he took the shot. They needed to make them both, and he missed the first shot. And his dad yelled out to a gym that was just stone-cold quiet, Oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. I just looked back and I looked at the kid, and the kid was at the foul line, and he had his back to his dad, and you could see the kid just turn his head and look back at his dad. And I thought, oh my, what did he just do? Aren't those, those moments in our lives where we remember them forever, and they label us, and we carry the scars, and we carry the pain, I still remember that, and I wasn't even involved. See, 
This is the problem with labels. This is the problem when we allow other people or things to label us. This is the day that we decide. This is the day that you decide that the hurtful labels and uh, you just say, those aren't me anymore. And you find your true identity in your creator and your savior in Jesus Christ. Today is the day that you begin to let your savior, your creator label you. Let me give you some some labels, and I don't have verse. I have verses, but I don't have. I don't have time to give you them. Let me give you. Let me tell you what the Bible says. What your Creator, what your Savior, what what Jesus says about you. This is what the Bible says about you. This is how God defines you. Let me read these. You're part of a chosen race. You're part of a holy nation. You belong to a royal priesthood. You're a citizen of heaven. You're made in His image. You're a new creation. You are his workmanship and his masterpiece. You are no longer a servant, but you're his friend. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're heirs of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. That's who you are. That's what God says. That's who God says you are. And that's just scratching the surface on what God says about you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get up every day. And I want you to say, what does God say about me? Who does God say that I am today? And walk with that label. We have to, we've been mislabeled. We've been mislabeled. And we've got to relabel ourselves, but we've got to allow our Creator and our Savior to do it. So that's the first point. You, you say yes to God when you allow Him to, to find, define you. Secondly, you allow God, uh, you, you say yes to God when you let Him direct you. When you let Him direct you. You know, if he is the creator of, of everything, and he's created us in his image, and if he became the one who came from heaven to earth to be the Savior, and he gave his life for us, and he willingly went to a Roman cross for us, it seems to me that it makes sense that giving him our total allegiance and obedience seems like the best thing that we can do. It seems like the most logical thing to do. And yet, you remember Adam and Eve way back in the garden, right? What did they do? God told them, you can do anything you want. The yeses, there were so many yeses. Yes, 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 yes. There was only one no. Don't eat of those trees. Don't eat of that tree. That's it. That was the only no. And he never told them why. He never said, this is why you shouldn't do it. He wanted to have a relationship where they could be trusted. Now, some of you have been following uh, directions, or you won't follow directions unless you know why. You're like your kids. <laughs> some of you have kids, and you tell them, go do this and go do this. Why? 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 Like, we have to give them a reason. And by the way, whenever you give them a reason, have you said, oh, well, if that's the reason, of course I'll go do it. They never do that. So it doesn't even work anyways. My point is this. We shouldn't have to know why. We shouldn't know, have to know if there's a benefit. We should just say, he's got my best interest. If he wants me to do this, let me just do it. Our obedience to Jesus is a direct measure of our growth in our relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not obeying Jesus Christ when he calls you and he tries to give you direction in your life, you have to question your 
you have to question whether you're growing in your faith or whether you even know Jesus. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? How are you doing in the area of obedience? Are you letting him direct your life? Some of you have had him come into your life and direct you at different times. And sometimes you just said, nah. But the key to obedience is saying yes to God with no ifs, ands, or buts about it. When God says to you, jump, you say, how high? And we don't have to know why. Now here's the question we all need to ask ourselves. Can we obey and trust the one who made you in his image, who gave you his life, even when you don't understand what he's trying to do in you and through you? And that's the thing. We don't have the grand picture. We don't have the grand scheme. We don't really know ultimately what God is trying to do. What we do know is this. He absolutely has our best interests in mind. And though we may not understand it, and though it may not make sense to us, when our creator, who created us in his image, who designed us, who sent his son, and Jesus, who willingly lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died, goes to the cross for us, it seems to me like it's the most sensible thing to do. That when he says, do this, we say yes. We say yes. Well, let me give you one more. <clears throat> we say yes to God when we let him deliver us. We say yes to God when you let him deliver you. Um, I think the greatest need, and we don't often think about this because this is big, big picture, eternity in mind. The greatest need that any human being has is to find peace with God. The Bible makes it crystal clear that we're out of touch with our, and in rebellion with our creator God. That we don't walk towards him, we walk away. Uh, we naturally default to the behavior of Adam and Eve. Uh, we try to live our lives without God. And this is a common belief of our world. Now this is where our world is going. This is the, the, the culture of our world and the culture of our uh, United States. Our culture claims and it says true freedom comes when you can do when anything you want with anyone you want at any time you want. You, you can, the, the, they, they're saying this is the, 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 the culture that we live in, the pop culture we live in. That you could say yes to anything you want. That's where true freedom comes. Do whatever you want. And this, here's the thing though. This kind of freedom eventually will lead to slavery. It leads to, leads to isolation, brokenness, and pain. True freedom comes when you say yes to Jesus. When you allow him to direct your life. When you allow him to define your life. And you allow him to deliver you. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me give you an illustration. So... When I was a kid, we used to uh, fly kites. And we get the little, just the, you know, the kind of triangle-ish kites, the cheap ones. And we get a roll of string and you get the, go get a bed sheet and tear it up. And then your mom would find out you just ripped your, your bed sheets up and she'd get all mad at you. Um, but you, you, you'd send your kite up. And there were a couple times that we put our kites way up. I mean, we got roll and roll and roll of string. I mean, it was, it was so far up you could barely see it. And uh, we'd be up there and be way up there. And then all of a sudden, you know, you know what's going to happen, right? The string breaks. 
And you know what happened to my, one day I had my kite way out there and the string broke. You know what happened? It soared even higher. I mean, it went even higher. And I'm thinking, well, why did it even put string on it? No, it didn't do that. It immediately went like this. You know how the kites go like, it <laughs> flopped back and forth. But it's so far away, I never found that kite. I never found that kite. It didn't soar again after that. In the same way, and it makes sense too, doesn't it? That when you connect with your creator, when you allow him to direct your life, when you allow him to deliver you, when you connect your lifeline to him, he helps you to soar. You become all that you were designed to be. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The whole point of that passage Paul is saying is when you connect with your creator, it's like plugging a light in. You, go, you begin to shine. Your life begins, begins, really, in essence. And you become all that you could possibly be. Now the world's telling you exactly the opposite. It's saying if you give your life to Jesus, if you follow God, if you do that, you're giving up your freedom. And when you give up your freedom, you are giving up the potential to have a great life. Nothing could be further from the truth. I just want to tell you that until you come to a place where you realize the most sensible, logical, thoughtful thing you could do with your life is give your life over to Jesus and allow him to direct it and allow him to define you. Until you do that, you haven't really soared. You haven't really lived. You have yet to live. So, a little over a year ago, I think it was, I was watching on PBS. I think it went two hours. The funeral service for Billy Graham. And it was an amazing service. <clears throat> you know, it had a number of people. Michael W. Smith played, and they had a couple different things happen. Uh, but they had a couple of his kids come up and give a testimony. Franklin gave a testimony, and then his daughter, uh, Ruth, uh, got up. And she shared a very painful story. And I just want to share a few quotes of what she said because it was very, very telling. She was, uh, she described, and again, these are all her words describing herself. She describes herself as a stubborn, willful, and sinful child. She ignored her father's con concerns and warnings. She was in a relationship with a man and she, was a, she was, had an upcoming marriage and her father had counseled her to pump the brakes, to hold off, not to go through with it. She married the man anyway on New Year's Eve. Here's what she says. Here's what she says. Within 24 hours, I knew I had made a terrible mistake. Within 24 hours, I knew I had made a terrible mistake. She says five weeks later, or the story goes on, five weeks later, she feared for her very safety and she fled her marriage and she began a two-day trek back to her father's house. Now, can you imagine that? She gets this advice. She gets into the relationship. The marriage goes south. She knows, knows immediately she's made a horrible mistake. And now she comes home and she says this. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is very serious, but it's also kind of funny. She says, you don't want to embarrass your father. And you really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. 
And, you know, the crowd chuckled at that point. And so she describes going up the driveway to her house and wondering what she's going to encounter with her father. Here's what she says. Let me read these words to you. My father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, Welcome home. There was no shame, there was no blame, there was no condemnation, just unconditional love. Just unconditional love. And you know what? She, she ends with this application. She says this, My father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. When we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our pain, and our hurt, God says, Welcome home. Now, some of you have lived your life in a rebellious way. Maybe you are there right now. And you're worried about what's going to happen if you turn your life around and you turn back to God. What will God do? Well, how will he receive me? In the same way that Billy Graham received his daughter. In the same way that the prodigal son was received back by his father with open arms with joy with celebration so my question to you is this we'll close with this have you ever said yes to jesus in this area of deliverance and salvation i was raised in a in a traditional faith where i, I always thought i was a christian I, I mean after all i was born in a christian nation i was born in a christian family and uh, went to church I uh, believed in God. I wasn't a terrible person. Thought I was better than most people morally. But here's the one thing um, that you need to know. Uh, it's one thing to know about somebody. See, I knew about Jesus. I knew about God. I knew stuff. But I didn't really know him. It wasn't like I had a relationship with him. And somebody helped me see that Jesus gave his life for me he lived the life I should have lived and he died the death I should have died and and I never really saw that before I, I knew that Jesus died but I didn't really connect it to me in fact I thought I was good enough I thought that I had done enough that I was acceptable and I realized after hearing scripture that I wasn't walking towards God and then I and then that even though I mean, it's like it's like if I take a glass of water right and you say, well, take a drink of that glass. It's 95% pure and 5% poison. Well, I don't want to drink that, right? That's just a, that's fail, right? That's failure, right? And in a sense, that's what I was. Uh, I, I, no matter what I thought or no matter how good I was, I wasn't 100% holy or pure. And that's the problem we all have. Paul puts it this way. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks God. The wages of sin is death. The, eternal gift, uh, the, the gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so we have to start over and we have to realize that we're desperate and we're drowning. We need a Savior and Jesus is that Savior. And the Bible says that in Romans, he says, uh, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And my question to you is, have you ever done that before? See, I thought I was a Christian. 
I went to church. I believed in God. And I often use an illustration. I think of it as, you know, many of you have gone to weddings. And you believe in weddings and marriage. And you've been to weddings. And you, you know probably what the, the pastor says. Will you take and will you and all this stuff. But here's what happens. Only two people at a wedding actually get married. And what they do is they share their vows with each other. They say, will you take this woman for, for richer, for poorer, or for better, for worse, till death? And, and he says, yes, I will, right? And then he says to the woman, will you take this man? And she says, yes. And, he's, and the pastor says, based upon now, based upon your testimony, your, your promises, your commit, words of commitment, your vows to one another, uh, I now pronounce you are man and wife. And then they go and they begin a journey together. Well, you know what? That's kind of what the Christian life is. There has to be a moment where you say yes to Jesus. Can you imagine the, the groom says yes, and then the pastor says, will you take this man? And there's silence. <laughs> Crickets. You go, something went wrong here. What did Jesus do on the cross? Jesus stre stretched out his arms on a cross and said, I give my life to you. I give my life to you. The question is, have you ever given your life to him? That's what it means to become a Christian. That you realize that you're drowning, that Jesus Christ came as a rescue party of one from heaven to earth, that he gave his life willingly for you, that he says, I give my life to you. And then we acknowledge our need. I'm a sinner. I needed a savior. And I realized you came and saved me. And now I give my life to you. And we begin a journey together with Jesus. I thought I was a Christian my whole life. I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. Because I realized that Jesus had given his life to me. And I had never given his life, given my life to him. Jesus said over and over to would-be disciples, come, follow me. So I ask you again. Have you ever said yes to Jesus? If not, why not? If not today, when? Today is the day of salvation. Let me lead you in prayer and we'll close our time together. Father, thank you for bringing us together. Uh, we ask that we would take these uh, lessons from your word to heart. That we would allow you to define who we are and not the world or the things around us people around us necessarily father that we would understand that you are God and may we uh, allow you to lead us and then finally father we thank you for Jesus and we thank you that you sent him to save us and will we allow him to save our souls father if there's anyone who listening who has never called upon the Lord maybe they want to pray a prayer like this dear Jesus I realize I'm a sinner and I'm lost. And without you, I'm helpless and hopeless. And as you gave your life for me on a cross, I now give my life to you. I realize I can't save myself. And I'm drowning and I need somebody to pull me out of the murk of sin. And I realize that only you can do that. So now I give my life to you. And I call you Savior. And I call you Lord. I pray that you would help me as I walk with you each day and thank you for saving me 
in Jesus' name. Father, if somebody prayed that prayer, I pray that they would let us know, send an email or let a friend know so that uh, they can get uh, to learn what the next steps are. But Father, thank you for loving us and thank you for the, the encouragement we get from your word. We give you thanks. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you where we're going next weekend. Next weekend, we're going to start a new series. We're going to be in the book of Jonah. And it's a very, very, it's a small book, four chapters. But it is so rich. There's so much going on there. We're going to spend about five, six weeks in the book of Jonah. So I hope you'll join us next week. God bless you. Have a great week.